Thanks for checking out the Church RC podcast today. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. Now here's Pastor Crystal Sparks. Great day to be here on this Mother's Day Sunday. Um, I hope that you are doing good. I'm always that awkward person that says Happy Mother's Day to everyone. I told a single girl on her way in today, Happy Mother's Day. She has no kids. You know, I tell it to men, I tell it to grandfathers, I just, happy Mother's Day to everyone. Amen. Uh, But for real, can we just give it up for all the moms in the house? We love you. This day's all about you, which means you're probably cooking lunch for all of your family today as they come over. Isn't that true? This is real life. But hey, you joined us not only on a special Sunday, being Mother's Day Sunday, but it's also our commitment Sunday. We've been in a Heart for the House campaign. If my ushers will come forward, uh, they're going to pass out our commitment cards. And uh, this is what we've been in a Heart for the House campaign over the last few weeks. And our Heart for the House is our building initiative. And uh, we don't want to be in a school forever. Um, As Pastor Brian preached one time, we can't stay here. Um, this is not our permanent home, but we're thankful for it for the time being. But Heart for the House is our building initiative to help us raise the funds needed to not only break ground, but then we're believing God that we're going to have a debt-free building. Can I get an amen in this place? Uh, I don't want to be a slave to debt. And so Commitment Sunday is this. You'll see on there, there's a breakdown of weekly gifts that total up to monthly. And this is a one-year faith pledge. Um, It is not a contract. You're not signing your name on the dotted line. Have you ever bought a house and you sign the papers for your house? It's almost intimidating. They're like, I'll take your left kidney, your firstborn child, your car, everything forever if you do not pay this. Have you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? This is not that kind of commitment. This is you and your household saying, this is what we're believing God for us as a family to give towards this campaign. And it's saying over the next year, this is what our family is believing for. And we're believing God that we're going to see a hundred percent participation uh, through this campaign, that every household is going to give something. If this is your first time here, no pressure. You don't have to commit anything. Uh, This service is just our gift to you. But us as a church family, this is what we're a part of. And you're joining us on that third part of our Heart for the House series. So we are going to be looking at Nehemiah. Nehemiah and our theme verse for this, uh, the whole series has been second Chronicles seven sixteen in the amplified. And it says this, how I have chosen and sanctified and set apart for my purpose, this house that my name may be here forever. Somebody say forever. And my heart, somebody say my heart, say it like you mean it, say my heart will be here forever. I love that the Lord says, I have sanctified and chosen, one translation says, this house. Aren't you glad to be in a house that God's chosen and set apart? And I believe that that word is for whosoever will lay hold of it. And then we're going to look at today, Nehemiah 4.2 in the Amplified. And it says this, just to give a little bit of background before we look at the verse, is Nehemiah, if you'll look at the book of Nehemiah, here he is, and he's come from uh, Persia, and he's in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. The city has been completely destroyed, and he basically gets this vision from God that he's the man to do the job. Uh, Side note, whenever God wants to solve a problem, he always uses a person. Uh, When he wanted to save all of Egypt from slavery, his children, he chose Moses. Uh, When he wanted to redeem 
redeem all humanity, he chose Jesus. And so God always uses a person to help solve a problem. And so God needed a person to cooperate with his vision. And that man was Nehemiah. So Nehemiah goes, and if you read the book of Nehemiah, the first three chapters of the book of Nehemiah is just this. He's just gathering the troops and he's gathering people with their resources to just trying to accomplish the vision. And then if you read through Nehemiah, chapters three, four, five, and six, or I'm sorry, four, five, and six are just about Nehemiah getting attacked. Uh, there's two guys named Sambalet and Tobias, and they basically decide that they're going to hate Nehemiah and what he's doing. Uh, it's amazing how many haters come out whenever you start stepping out after what God's called you to do. And these guys, and isn't it amazing how haters always travel in packs? They, they're not brave enough to come by themselves. Uh, they always find somebody to go with them. And so Sambalet and Tobias basically decide that they hate Nehemiah and they're going to try to stop what he's doing by discouraging him. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here. We're picking up in Nehemiah 4.2, and this is Sambalit and Tobias. This is what they're telling Nehemiah. And it says, and he said before his brethren and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore things at will and by themselves? Will they try to bribe their God with sacrifices? Will they finish up in one day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, seeing that they are burned. One more scripture before we pray and get started is Philippians 3, 2 in the message. It says, steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. Can I pray for you today as we get started? Jesus, we're just here, Father, to say that we love you. God, we just love you. What an honor to be in a house like this at such a time as this. And so, Father, we just declare that this is a God-appointed word at a God-appointed time. Father, we thank you that every heart is softened for the seed of God. God, I thank you that every ear is open and receptive. Lord, we declare that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. In Jesus' name, and everybody who believed it said, amen, amen. You know, I love to run. Um, I know I talk about this a lot. If you come here for any length of time, you'll know two things about me. I love Disney and I love to run. Those two things, they, they just kind of go together, both in different times of life. Although I will run at Disney. Come on, from ride to ride. Amen. And, and for a candy apple, there's nothing better than a Disney candy apple. Any food Mickey shape is great. But I love to run, and I run with a group of girls that are crazy just like me. And we meet up every morning. Where are my running girls at? Uh, we started out as a community group, and it was so fun that we've just been going on forever. And so uh, we meet at 5:45, and we run anywhere from three to five miles. And so we meet, and when we start running every morning on those days, it's completely dark and. In fact, I, I would like to describe myself as like a vampire runner. I don't know how to run when the sun's out. Like, I just don't know how to even function when the sun's out. But if it's dark outside, I'm like, yes, I've got this. And so have you ever noticed that everything's a little bit more creepy at night? Like when you're outside in the dark, you're like, your whole senses are more heightened. And so it's funny because we've gotten to where we know the different paths. And we know, because we've run it so much, I can almost time when a dog is about to bark. Like, I can tell you when I turn on a certain street, I'm like, and cute dog on the left. And then we turn the other corner, I'm like, cute dog on the right. And it's funny because when new people are running with us, they don't know these things. So every dog uh, frightens them. And every dog you can see, they start running a lot faster. And in fact, it was really funny that one morning uh, they were out running 
and there was a giant dog. In fact, he was like a wolf dog, like a large wolf dog. And all of a sudden they're running and we're used to these things. Again, like I said, you know, you get used to the dogs barking, you know where they're at. So this was a normal place for a dog to be barking. But this time the dog was coming towards them. And he wasn't just coming towards them. He was coming towards them very fast and very angry. And uh, KK, in an act of survival for herself, decided she was going to outrun everybody else. Because she doesn't have to be faster than the dog. She just has to be faster than them. So she decided, bye friends, it's been great knowing y'all. And she starts taking off running. And so she's running as fast as she can. And then all of a sudden, this voice cuts out through the night. And it's a man. He goes, it's okay. I have him on a leash. That must have been the longest leash made. I'm like, sir, this is rude. What are you doing walking your dog in the dark? Like that's just all kinds of levels of creepy. But what I've noticed is, is that barking dogs are inevitable whenever you go out places. And there's two things about barking dogs I want you to know is the first reason that dogs bark is because they're mad that you are going somewhere they aren't. They're mad that you're going somewhere that you aren't. Because if you were to go get that dog and put him on a leash and walk him with you, he would be just perfectly content. Why? Because he's just mad that you're going somewhere that he isn't. And then the second thing about barking dogs is they want to stop you on your journey. They are just there to stop you on your journey. And the way they do that is by fear and intimidation. And I love what it says here in Philippians 3, 2. Let's put that back up here. I love this warning that Paul gives the Philippian church. He says, steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. You know, I've come to find this in in my journey that it is no time at all that you step out after what God's called you to do and the barking dogs come out of the woodworks. You don't have any haters when you're just working your normal job. You're not going after your dreams. Your family isn't sitting around the table going, you're going to that church. You're doing what? You're giving what? Your coworkers aren't going, really? Do you really think you can start that business? Do you really think that your kid's going to serve the Lord? Have you seen their story? It's amazing how when you step out and begin doing things for God, that all the people, all the haters come out of the woodworks. And I'll just tell you that when you read through the Bible, this is no new thing. Because I would say, if I would just dare to say, I think every person in here, and I would love for you to raise your hand if you're with me. How many of you have ever felt ill-equipped to do what's in your heart? All right, I want you to look around the room that you're not the only one. And the ones of you that have your hand down, I will gladly give you the mic and let you take over this message. Because I'll just tell you, I've always felt ill-equipped. I have never felt prepared to do what God has called me to do. And what's interesting is is that when you begin to do it, because here's the two levels when you step out into your dreams, into your destiny, is the first thing is it's all mental, The negative thoughts are like bombarding you constantly. But the minute you step out to do it, that's when the enemy sends people to voice what you're thinking in your head. They, they give voice to the very things. And in that moment, you think, oh my gosh, the, the thoughts I've been thinking about myself is right. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. I'm not a good mom. You know, it wasn't too long back and I was having one of those meltdown moments as a mom. How many of you guys know that happens? It usually ends with a big piece of chocolate cake for me and watching some kind of Disney movie and just crying my eyes out. But that's, that's usually how I cope with bad days. And um, I was having a bad day, and the thought crossed my mind, like, I should call my mom 
for encouragement. And so I called my mom and I was like crying and I'm having a bad day. And I was like, mom, I just think I'm the worst mom in the world. Like, I just feel so ill-equipped. Like I'm not the right person. I'm not the right girl at the right place at the right time. And I'm, I'm melting down and I'm driving and, and tears everywhere, barely can see out my windshield. And then my mom re- gives her word of encouragement. And she goes, you're not a good mom. You're making lots of mistakes, but it's okay. We all make lots of mistakes. And she goes, your kids will look back and they're probably going to hate you for some stuff that you did. And I'm like, oh man. And I got off the phone and I'm just crying even harder. And she's like, but you know what? You're just doing your best. You're just doing your best. And I say that to say, Now, I just always think it's interesting that whenever we're going on the path and we're doing what God's called us to do, this right here is the greatest battleground that you're going to have. And, and the enemy will always send people to agree with what you're hearing in here. Now, just because they say it doesn't make it so. He's doing it as a test. And what's interesting is when you read in Nehemiah, it tells us that the Tobias and Sambalit didn't even come until Nehemiah started building. They didn't even come to start voicing threats to him until he started building. Isn't it interesting that they were telling him he couldn't do it, but he was already doing it? Isn't it amazing the people in your life telling you that you're not going to make it, but you're already making it? Isn't it funny the people in your life that come in and they're like, you're not a good mom. You don't have it together, but you're like, look at me. I'm getting through. I'm doing it. And so I think it's so interesting that the enemy's only going to show up in your life when you start taking actual steps. When you start taking, so whenever you start seeing opposition, I just want to tell you, congratulations. Like you are on the right path. The enemy only attacks where there is spoil. And so the sign that you're being attacked is a good thing because it means you're building something. And so no matter every person in here, I love what Brian's been talking about. We are all building something. Maybe you're building a better marriage. Maybe you're building a better family. Maybe you're helping us in building the church. Maybe you're building a business that's going to give to many nations. The enemy doesn't want you to build. And the, right when you start laying that first brick, he's going to come and here comes your sambalit and Tobias and they're going to come and they're going to start saying negative things. And so I'm going to give you three things. I feel like Brian today. I'm going to give you three things, but I think you can basically sum up these three thoughts is what all of us battle with whenever we're doing what God's called us to do. Are you ready? Number one, write this down. Who are you to do that? Who are you to do that? And this is what's interesting is it doesn't matter what your that is. Because the same negative thoughts I face as your pastor, you face as a business person. You face as a school teacher. You face as a nurse. You face as a contractor. And no matter what position you go into, your that is always going to be called into question by the enemy. And he says here in Nehemiah 4.2, he says, and what are these feeble Jews doing? In other words, who are you to do that? You know, Winston Churchill is probably one of the greatest leaders of our time, no doubt. Without argument, he's one of the greatest. But what's interesting is in his day and time, nobody believed in him. Nobody believed in him. In fact, he had so much opposition on every side of him. We quote him now, but then 
He was despised. In fact, after the war, they threw him out of office. I mean, you want to talk about real opposition. But yet now when you go to London, there's streets named after him, schools named after him, monuments named after him, museums named after him. And you know what I think is interesting is nobody has anything named after his critics. It's only named after him. It's only the people who build great things that will be remembered. Your critics will not be remembered. The people, the negative, the naysayers, the people voicing opposition, they're not going to be remembered at the end of it all. The only person that is going to be remembered are those who build. He is remembered today because he built great things. He stood in the face of adversity. And I want to be that kind of person that's able to do that. See, I love this, that Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. But the interesting part is Jesus didn't show up today and set up pipe and drape. Jesus didn't show up in the flesh and set up chairs. Jesus isn't over there keeping our kids right now and teaching them the word of God. See, because God always uses a person to fulfill his plan. God always uses a person to, to, to fulfill his plan. So I'll just say this, that we know that God is building his church, actual church. Like we're going to have an actual building. He is building the building. But you know what he's going to do to accomplish it? He's going to use a person. And he's looking for somebody to say, I am that one. I am the one that God wants to use. I am the one that will answer the call. I am the one that's going to do. And see, because here's the thing is that God is sending out a call to everyone. And I love the Bible says that it's for whosoever will. And I love Brian touched on it last week about the, the scripture that says many are chosen, but few are called. And I used to always sweat it. I'm like, God, am I the one that's called? I don't know if I'm the called one. And the Lord just finally told me, he said, whoever says yes is the one that I've chosen. Whoever says yes. So whenever God decided he wanted to rebuild Jerusalem, it wasn't that there was something special about Nehemiah. He was just the one who said yes. It wasn't that there was something special about Moses. He was just willing to say yes. It wasn't that there was something special about Peter or Paul or any of the disciples. It was just that they were willing to say yes. And I want to ask you a question. In your own life, are you willing to stand up and say, I am the one that God is going to use. And I may not can do everything, but I can do something. And I'm not going to let the fact that I can't do everything keep me from doing my part because I am the one that God wants to use. I want people that when opportunity comes, they say, I am the one that you are looking for. I want people that when the hurting are in our midst and we are the ones to give them aid. I want people who, when people are thirsty, we say, I am the one that'll give you a drink. I want a people in our church that when our city is hurting and there's things going on. We declare as a one voice, we say, we are the one who are going to bring you the message of hope. I want us to be a people that when we need dream team, and there's so many dream teams in here, dream teamers. And I want us to be the people that say, I am the one who will serve selflessly. See, God isn't looking for something special. He's just looking for someone who's willing. And you are the one to do that, whatever your that is. And I can't do it by just doing my that. And Ruby can't do it with just doing her that. And Joel can't do it with just doing his that. It's when Ruby's standing next to Joel and Joel's standing next to Shane and Shane's sitting next to Ashley. Come on. It's no mistake that we're standing in rows. 
The Bible talks about it in Nehemiah. They were side by side and everybody was doing their that. Everybody was doing their part. Your part isn't my part and my part isn't your part. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to keep doing my that because I am the one. I am the one. And I know with, when we see great need, and I know what that's like. Sometimes the need seems so great. You're like, God, how can I make a difference? Let me tell you, you make a difference $1 at a time. How are we going to get to a million dollars? $1 at a time. $1 at a time. Well, we need somebody to write a really big check. No, we just need each one doing their that. Each one side by side. I, my that's not your that, but I'm not going to keep my that from keeping me from doing my that. Come on. Because we look at what's in our hand. I want you to think about when they were feeding the multitudes, Jesus, here he is. He gets the decision that he's going to feed the multitudes. I want somebody to track with me. And, and he's about to feed the multitudes. And he says, find who has something. And one little boy surrenders his lunch. Now, I want you to think it's a few loaves and a few fish. His that was not enough to supply for thousands. But he was willing to give his that. God always uses a person to accomplish his vision. And Jesus says, I want to feed you, but I got to get somebody involved. I have to have somebody who's willing to sacrifice their that. And if they won't sacrifice their that, I can't multiply it and do exceedingly, abundantly, above all they could ever ask, think, or even imagine. He said, go find somebody. And I think it's interesting because in that crowd were religious leaders in that crowd were entrepreneurs, in that crowd were the successful, and in that crowd were the lame. And there was a child who said, I'm willing to give my that. You know, one of my favorite things is kid art. I love kid art. In fact, at our new building, like my hope is that in our hallways, in the kids area, that we will have multitudes of kid art because me and KK both, like we love kid art. And I have a big file and I keep it at my office and it has all kid art goes into that file. I just, I love it. I love kid art. And there was uh, two children and last Sunday they wrote a picture to us. And they just let us know, like, we think you're doing great building the church. And they're like, I don't know that this is much, but here's our $26 for Heart for the House. A child. And I thought in my mind, what did they do to have to get that? And they looked at $1 million and they said, $26 is my that. And it may seem small. And it may seem insignificant, but when my that gets tied with Joel, and when my that gets tied with Ruby, and when my that gets tied with other people, then I know that we're going to make a difference. What's your that? What's your part to play? The next thing the enemy will tell you, you're too late. You're too late. And I found right on the heels of this are two things. You can do it later or your time has passed. Those are the two things that God, the enemy will always use against you. It's almost as though he exchanges, okay, now you know your that is significant. Now let me hand you a calendar and tell you that you're past your time and you can just do it tomorrow. And I love this because I think that there's an author that's named uh, Catherine Stockett and she wrote the book, The Help. And you know, she was rejected 600 times, I mean, sorry, 60 times. Her book was turned down 60 times. Everybody said, that book isn't going to make it. Nobody's going to want to read it. And she almost could think, it's too late. I'll just do it later. But she pressed on and asked one more time. And that person published her, went on to become a movie and all kinds of great things. Think about this. WD-40 had 39 failures. 
nine failures. Number 40, they got it right. WD 40. Dyson had 5,126 prototypes. Angry Birds had 52 failed apps. Let me just tell you, it's not too late. Put your hand on your chest right here. You feel that? That right there is purpose. That means that it's not too late. You haven't missed your time. That God still wants to use you. As long as that's beating right there, you still have time for your comeback. You still have time. It's not too late. You're saying, well, Crystal, I'm, I'm older now. Let me tell you, your latter years are supposed to be greater than your former years. Yeah, I'm a, can I say this? I'm like a fine wine. I get better and better every year. I just said that. You don't go to a normal church. That's okay to say that. Right? I didn't say I drink wine. Don't get all, don't send your emails. I don't read it, sample it, and Tobias. <laughs> Moving on. The next thing the enemy will tell you is it has to be perfect. It always makes what you have seem small. And I know I kind of touched on that. There was a leader and his name was King Frederick William III. And he was in Persia and Napoleon at this time was taking over every piece of land he could get his hands on. Have you guys ever heard of Napoleon? Not the ice cream. He was a great leader of his time, and he was taking over land little by little. And here King William was, and he was about to lose Persia. The battle was so bad, they had lost all their weapons. They had no swords to fight with. They had no shields. And he sent out word through the land and asked the women to give up their jewelry. Every woman gave up their jewelry, which I'm like, that's got to be a word from the Lord. And they all gave up their jewelry. They melted them. And out of the women's jewelry became swords and became their shields. And they beat Napoleon in that war. And Persia went on. But I think it's interesting that he wasn't willing to say, you know what, it's too hard. You know what, we don't have what it takes. Maybe we're not the ones to do that. But he said, we'll use whatever we have, even if it's something as small as an earring, even if it's something as small as a bracelet, even if it's something, and each person gave their part as small, as insignificant as it was. And their women and their children and everybody went on to live in a safe land because people were willing to use what seemed little and insignificant. Don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can do. In our final moments here before we show our video in Nehemiah 6.3, I love this because this is what did Nehemiah do to Tobias and Sambalit. If you turn over to Nehemiah 6.3, I love his rebuttal here. He says, and I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? I love this because Nehemiah was like, sample it, Tobias. I'm not even going to engage in an argument with you. I'm not even going to come down from what I'm building. You are not worth my time. I'm going to keep building. I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do. And just go send somebody to him and just say, listen, I'm not going to leave this great work. And whenever the negative thoughts come and whenever the critics come in your life, and you, if you don't have critics now, trust me, you will. Uh, Missy Tittle's going to take over all of our complaints at the church. Um, <laughs> All the complaints of the church are going to start going to Misty Tittle. And I'll be like Nehemiah. I just, I just send a messenger out to them to say, listen. But what I'm saying is you just need to have made up in your mind 
that you're not going to stop doing the great work that God has called you to do to entertain a hater or a critic or a negative thought. Because right now we are all having different measures of negative thoughts sitting in this room. And I'll tell you, it's not worth your time to leave the great work that you're building. The great work of your marriage, the great work of your family, the great work of the kingdom, the great work of building the church. It's not even worth it. In Nehemiah 6.16, it goes on and he tells them here, when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us feared and fell far in their face, in their own esteem, for they saw that this work was done by our God. Results will always silence the critics. Results will always silence your critics. There will come a time when people will look at your life and say, this has to be God because I know him. I know her. I know where they came from. I know what they've been through. And if they're doing something great like this, it has to be the hand of the Lord. And I'll just tell you, even for us as a church, being a young church, being only two and a half years old, and we're building a $3.5 million building. If you want to talk about negative thoughts swarming through our head and negative voices coming our way. But I know this, that when we have our first service in that building, the voice of all the enemies are going to go, surely this was the work of only God and God alone that can do something like this with a people like that. Don't stop before your breakthrough. Don't stop before your victory. You, the only difference between winners and losers is winners didn't stop. They went for it one more time. They kept using what they have. And our church is just going to, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep using what we have. At The Church RC, we aim to help you encounter Jesus. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at thechurchrc.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at thechurchrc. If you have a story to share about how God is moving in your life, you can email us at amen at thechurchrc.com.